You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's recording. (laughs) We're on. on. That's the most important thing. Professional intro. Like it. Um, It's what a week full of soccer and madness, Ross. I have no idea which tournament I'm watching, who plays where, what country is where. There's so much soccer, and then I tried to watch a Formula One race in the middle of all of it. Come on. (laughs) All I know is my two-year-old. Nice little oh there. Because guess what? Hey, we're watching soccer as we record this. (laughs) 70th minute of Portugal 1, Iceland 1. My two-year-old started to speak loads. And unfortunately, that's a bit of a, a downer for me right now because I turn on the soccer and she goes, Daddy, I don't like watching football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Okay, um, what do we do about this? Can we watch Caillou, kids shows? Can we watch the Berenstain Bears? No, sorry. This is Daddy's time. This is like between 6 a.m., and 9 p.m. in the evening, it's daddy's time. Anything else outside of that, you're very welcome to watch TV. It's a fair rule that you have here. I feel like uh, you, you're you a just king of your, yeah. uh, of your, of your household. I mean, that's a nine-hour window for her to watch. Yeah. I mean, it might be in the middle of the night when she's sleeping, but it's still a nine-hour window. I feel I'm being entirely fair here. To be fair, she also sets her own hours, so you never know when she's going to be awake during those hours for you to enjoy her television. Well, that's a good point. She was awake from 12.45 yeah. last night until half past two, so I feel like... She can get her fill of the the goggle box if she wants it. <laughs> um, the some big stuff we got to go back to. Uh, who's what's this orange? It's like an investment firm or something. They're sponsoring Euro twenty sixteen. Oh, all the advertising hoardings around the side of the field. Yeah, um, it's, it's a cell phone service. Oh, it was a big cell phone service in the UK. I think they got bought out. I gotcha. But, um, it probably lives on in Europe. Hence the uh, the adverts there. It's their, it's their, well, their Verizon is yeah. Vodafone, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, whatever. I don't know. Okay. T-Mobile. Okay, all right. Even though I think T-Mobile is in Europe, also maybe. It is. Stop confusing me. Deutsche Bank. That's all go. I know. I think about what the cycling teams are sponsored by. That's how I do it. <laughs> uh, where do you want to start, man? You want to talk Copa? Or you want to talk Euro? Let's do Copa. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, there's so much good stuff going on in Copa America. Ross, and, I yeah. wish I had a clip of last week just so <laughs> I should start taking my socks off now because, boy. Oh, please wash them first. Rarely. Uh, you got a sink? Yeah. You got some wool light? I'll wash them there. Uh, dry uh, them as well before I eat them. I remember saying last week that someone from Group C or Group D would get bounced that we expected to win. And you said, absolutely not. If so, I will eat your hat. 
to which I said, you can't eat this hat because I like this hat. It was too nice. Yeah, it was new-ish. It's my Tacoma Rainier's hat. I'm proud of that one. And so you responded that you would eat my socks. Somebody on the uh, internet was kind enough as soon as the result came in from that group C to tweet at both of us to remind you that you had better get out your Worcestershire sauce. I can't say that, right? And uh, put it all over the socks. I hope you brought some with you. If not, we have plenty here in America. Yeah, I basically stuffed up with my predictions, didn't I? <laughs> I first of all said all the favourites will go through no problems. I would see Uruguay going through. Yeah. And then from the other group, I would see Brazil sauntering past the easy opposition of Ecuador Haiti and Peru, I think it was. More shocking that Brazil doesn't go through or if Haiti would have scored a point. <laughs> yeah, and it was after Brazil won 7-1 against Haiti, you thought, it's fine. The fact that they sneaked a 0-0 draw against Ecuador when they should have lost 1-0 with a, a dodgy decision ruling out an Ecuador goal, you thought, oh, it'll be fine. And then what goes and happens? Yeah. Flipping Peru <laughs> through a hand of God, 1986 Maradona-esque handball, score a goal. I mean, that was almost like a volleyball dig. It was almost like scored I'm taking karate right now. It was almost like a uh, two knuckle punch. I feel like he could have. <laughs> it was such a, an obvious handball that the Peru guy scored with three yards out. But the referee didn't see it. None of the five of the referees there saw it. Nobody saw it. And the really interesting thing for me was the big debating point about this. So Peru scores this goal that's highly controversial, which means they win 1-0 and dump Brazil out of a tournament. See nerds. But the Brazilian players all rushed to the referee and insisted it was a handball. And you know when players are trying it on, and you know when players are genuine because the yeah. reaction was so shocked from those Brazilian guys. It and was, universal. Yeah, universal. And they were genuinely, genuinely upset about the call. And so the referee went over to his assistant, who didn't see it either, incredibly. But then he gets on his earpiece. And in the Copa America, as in every other soccer tournament around the world, and this has got to change and, and it will change, you're not allowed to use video replay to make decisions. Yeah. The only video replay you've got is goal line technology, which you never see because within a second, the referee's told by basically a, a computer system with, with loads of cameras whether the ball's over the line. But the referees aren't allowed to use video replay. And I am convinced the referee knew he'd made a mistake couldn't reverse it without being able to see video replay because no other officials had seen it. And I swear he was on his earpiece to a match official saying, show me a replay, show me a replay, tell me, tell me, tell me from the replay, oh. tell me from the replay. And waiting for somebody to tell him that there was a replay that confirmed it was a handball. Oh, man. Even though that's against the rules. But <clears throat> the stadium, in stadium, they're not allowed to show replays of controversial moments. Yeah, is that to keep the crowd from turning on everybody and burning the place down? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And so there was no in-stadium replay. And I, I clicked on this straight away, thinking he's looking for a TV replay. And what happened was the TV production company didn't show a replay. Oh they, they waited on the referee and shots of the referee and the protesting Brazilians and the rather sheepish Peruvian guys scored a goal. So they just used those live shots and didn't show a replay. So the referee, even though I'm convinced he wanted to, to, to go against the, the rules of the game, 
didn't have the option of, of letting somebody look at a replay because nobody was showing a replay. And so he oh. had to give the goal in the end because he had no other evidence to the contrary. Well, how would you have wanted that to turn out? Well, you want the right call. But do you want them to go against the... Because a guy in the TV booth sees it and says, dude, that was a, that was a handball. That's or, a really good question. Ethically, where do you want that to go? Yeah, ethically... You don't want them to use a replay because then all of a sudden it opens floodgates and you'll have instances, while ever the rule is you're not allowed to use replays to make those calls, you'll have instances where somebody will cheat the system yeah. and then you'll have instances where they're like, well, no, it's against, you know, we're, not, we're not allowed, it's against the rules. So ethically, you have to say he did the right thing. But long term they have to bring in replay for those kind of instances. And some people are saying, oh, as, as a purist, it's against the the beauty of the sport that mistakes happen yeah. and that's just part of the game. But what you noticed there was the referee stood for probably three minutes procrastinating, waiting to make an actual final decision. I'm for that, by the way. <laughs> what, to have... I'm, I'm for the... Let cooler heads prevail. I'm for the maybe something will come to it, or maybe the that the goal line referee will be like, hey, 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 that was a that wasn't a goal. I, I'm for the process taking a minute, adding some stoppage time. Okay, that's, that's where the debate comes in. How long can you sure stop the game for? Because that was then, painful. Because yeah, because if you have a three minute stoppage, you're then stopping the flow of the game. And soccer is a sport built on end-to-end, non-stop action. But what would have happened with TV replay? If they'd had TV replay, within 30 seconds, the video official would have made made a very easy call and would have said, no goal, handball, free kick for Brazil. But because they didn't have the replay, they spent three minutes messing about. So if you'd had replay, it would have cut the time down that you wasted without the replay. Oh, yeah. So if you think about it that way, replay is good. Yeah, I don't want the three minutes, but I want there to be a... But the replay would tell you within 30 seconds. Right, exactly. I'm saying from a practical, without replays, if you're on the sideline and it's a big call like that, take that extra two or three seconds to think about it before you make the decision. Yeah. Don't just blow the whistle and start pointing. Mm-hmm. Like you got to like give yourself a minute to catch up with the game and let your brain process what you just saw so that way you get the call right if you can. Yeah, the ref did the right thing in, in waiting to speak to his assistants, but in a way, it would have been more... It sounds bizarre. It would have been more efficient to have the replay because our arguments against replay is, oh, it'll stop the game and it'll take too long. In that instance, it would have taken much less time they're not having a replay. So yeah. there you go. Well, it's crazy. The thing that gets me is that there's that, we can see them right now on the screen. There's the fourth and fifth officials that are supposed to be watching the goal line there to see what's going on right there in the box outside of the goalkeeper. Uh, you know, they're, they're half the distance from anyone else. The guy's looking right at the goal line and the play is made with an arm and he doesn't see it. What is he looking at when that happens? Is he looking at a goal post? Is he looking at the interference in the box there between players? Uh, scrambling against each other well the interesting thing is for Copa America they don't have the fifth officials they don't have the goal line officials they are there in the Euros my mistake and they use them in Champions League and Europa League in Europe but they haven't used them in Copa America so that made the decision a bit more difficult for the referee but this is just personal anecdotal info I don't think in the years the many years I've seen games with fifth officials in I've ever seen a fifth official the guy on the goal line ever make a decision they never want to give a decision and the thing (sighs) is those guys are just looking primarily at the penalty areas 
But in any corner free kick situation, there's always five or six different places where they could call a foul. Shirt pulling, holding, yeah. whatever, pushing, but they never do. So they're almost redundant because there's so many fouls going on, they don't want to give any of them because they'd end up giving a penalty every single time there's a free kick or a corner. Could Can you imagine a time when that happens, when there's a season where... Uh, FIFA, UEFA, someone like that comes in and says, all right, we're calling all the shirt pulling in the box. You pull a shirt, penalty. Well, they, they try and clamp down on it every tournament and every year, and they say, we're going to be taking a dimmer view of this. Um, but then it quietly goes away. And I think because if you did start calling a penalty every single time, you're changing the nature yeah. of the sport. You'd end up with a game that finishes 7-6 which is very unfootball like. So I'm sure the fans would or the the casual fans might not hate that happening though. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I think American fans who who like scoring wouldn't mind that, but for the purists who who've grown up with nil-nils and two ones and yeah. one-nils being the order of the day, it would be anathema to, to to people. And I wouldn't like it myself. I just it takes away from from the sport, but and as I, you say, you're going to try and eliminate it, but then again, you look at basketball. There are a hundred fouls in every play because it's a non-contact. Yeah, they're sport. all traveling, also, they're, and they're every, all traveling. Everyone is traveling, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, okay. Like if everyone, if everyone's on the same page and we all agree that we're going to let some shirt tugging happen in the in the box, then, then at least it's the same for everyone. Yeah, and and the thing is, there's always a, a kind of a common ground and common sense, and you have to apply common sense to yeah. every law in every sport because if you end up using robots and automatons to, to measure fouls, then as I say, you'll end up with a completely different sport to the one that's being played right now. And that's the interesting line, where do you draw the line for technology? You don't want robo-refs, but clearly there are instances, and in the area, the thing, things that we saw, like the handball and controversial goals, and maybe even offsides, if you can get a very quick decision by technology, then I'm all for it because... It's high stakes. This is, you know, this isn't just a kickabout in your backyard. This is winning or losing one of the world's greatest tournaments. So that kind of technology, it has to help. And and leagues like MLS are very soon going to be trialing that technology. The yeah. Eredivisie in um, the Netherlands is going to be trialing it, and a few other countries as well. It's coming, and it has to. I got to tell you, the baseball now having it, it certainly slows the game down. It definitely, when it's time to review a play, it takes a bit of steam out of the game and it's great for advertisers who want their Budweiser commercial to run or whatever but for fans it's like it is then the huh well, I guess I'm gonna pee yeah the game is slow enough as it is yeah and then you just hit the brakes on it like that so tell me in baseball where can you use technology you can't use it on pitches that are questionable right no it's only on I think uh I think it's only on home uh where the ball lands and if it's out or not so if a guy steals second and you want to contest whether or not he was tagged out you can challenge that if the ball went left or right of the foul pole and the sun, the ref couldn't or the ump couldn't see it, you can contest that. Was it a foul ball? Did it hit the line or was it over? I think you can do that. Maybe not. Maybe it has to be on an out ball. Out yeah, because otherwise or, you'd end up challenging every third pitch, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Because and that would be that's too much again. That's way too much for it to be that. So there has to be some sort of. I think the NFL did a really good job on it. Um, it's still the NFL is the most boring. I think NFL football is so boring to watch in person because on TV they just show robots and have flashing lights and like you're dumb. Yeah, it's made. Well, it's made for TV. It's a made for TV sport. Yeah, exactly. Any sport that has referee in inverted commas timeouts. Yeah, 
basically a TV timeout. Yeah. That they have timeouts so commercials can be shown. That's never going to be in the interests of the paying fan who who sits in the 300 level at CenturyLink Field. So again, if Coach Carroll throws the flag on the, for the Seahawks, the red challenge flag, and they spend 60 seconds looking at the replay, it's just another stoppage in a game that is already so jerky. Um, but it works because it's already that's what you already expect. It's already herky jerky as it is, so you add that in and we're off. I, yeah, the soccer it's going to be a real it's going to be a real challenge to get fans uh, on board with that. I so think. you like it? You want it in soccer? I don't want it. You don't want it at all. I I like that the players are humans and that the referees are humans and the referees get it wrong and they end up with a lower rating in the referees association. And they don't get put on the big game next time. Holy crap. That's interesting. Um, That's really interesting because I thought I'd be like you, but I've seen those instances recently where you can tell there's clearly an unjust decision. And as long as it doesn't stop the flow of the game, yeah. and the Brazil thing yesterday would have increased the flow of the game yeah. using technology rather so, than not. So that's what I was getting with the NFL, I guess, is that like there's got to be a system where you're allowed a – like you can, you can challenge something if you're a manager – uh, and they'll end up using it cheekily to to slow the game down. You know, they'll use it for a to break up rhythm or something. I'm not sure about that. Was that out of bounds? I'm going to throw my challenge flag or whatever. But in instances of you know, once a game, you get an opportunity to look at that. You're not talking about enough calls that it would come into come into play more than once or twice a match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could see if if you could find a way to limit the amount of challenges that you have or replays that you have that it could be a good thing because it's a game changing decision. If it's the last two minutes of a football game, they they look at every play, they review every play to make sure because it's such a big decider. So if it's a goal that you're talking about, maybe that's when reviews are allowed. Yeah, it's only limited. They're not going to do it for every decision in, in, yeah. in soccer. They're going to basically use it for a lot of instances around the area and, and hopefully that'll give quick easy decisions so we'll see fascinating aspect of the sport for me you were talking about the um talking about the one of the most important uh prestigious tournaments in the world let's talk about one of the least let's move from euro 2016 to the copa america pretend uh, a tournament here that they're doing copa 100 the one that is one year after the actual one that happened for bribery money in fifa congratulations <laughs> to the united states of america men's national team who looked like hot garbage the first day that they played and then turned everything around to win the group Ross, I never saw I never saw it actually coming true when we first talked about it a couple weeks ago that we'd be facing a Thursday night match here at CenturyLink Field um, against whoever Ecuador. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Probably thought it would have been probably Ecuador, Haiti, or Peru. But yeah, yeah, you never thought it would be the U.S. Yeah. winning the group, and um, particularly after the first game, you mentioned they lose to Colombia and. Colombia just looked different class. You thought, where's the U.S. going from here? But that's the great thing for me about tournaments. Yeah. That you have a chance to redeem yourself even in a short space of time. And the U.S. did that. Steamrolling Costa Rica and then inching past Paraguay in what I thought was actually a really good performance. Arguably as good, if not better, than the Costa Rica game. And you might say, hang on, Ross. They beat Costa Rica 4-0. How can that be better than how can a one nil be better than four nil yeah but for me it was all about the nature of that performance and they got their goal and they slugged it out kept a clean sheet and managed the game itself really impressively really impressively and that secured the group you know costa rica did them a favor of course by beating 
Colombia in the final game when <laughs> Colombia rested 10 players. But still, Costa Rica won the game and it was amazing to see Colombia scramble and scramble for the final 20 minutes. But it was just incredible to see the turnaround, to see how Jürgen Klinsmann went from zero to hero in the eyes of many US media members. And now you have this incredible opportunity this Thursday as we talk on the Tuesday, of playing probably in front of a, a sold-out stadium in Seattle where one of the most passionate fan bases in the U.S. lives. I would say that for Colombia, actually, I think the I think the matchup against Peru is probably favorable. I know Peru knocked Brazil out, but that was on controversy. Um, I think that Colombia, not going against Ecuador, the, the matchup that they get now as a result of taking second in that is uh, advantageous in a couple ways. One, they get to play in New Jersey at MetLife, which means that if they were to go on to the final, which they very well could because they're a strong team, they'd already have some experience playing there in this tournament. A little bit of familiarity can go a long way. But also Peru, kind of a better draw than Ecuador. Yeah, the thing is, Peru and Ecuador aren't big names in South American soccer. Yeah, sure. They've never really done diddly squat. So I don't know what it is about that about the tournament so far. I've been Ecuador is the one I've been like, oh, that's the team, as opposed to Peru. Like Peru squeaked it out, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Ecuador have a better better pedigree, and they've yeah. made World Cups. Whereas Peru have never really been in and around anything. They hover around, I don't know, mid-50s in the FIFA World Rankings, maybe worse. But the thing for me is the US, in winning the group, have, in one respect, disadvantaged themselves because they're doing a lot of crisscross yeah. travelling across the country. They started out in Santa Clara to play the Columbia game. They also then had a game in Philly. Yeah. And then they've got to come all the way back five and a half, six hour flight to Seattle. So they would have stayed on the East Coast if they'd won that, if they wouldn't, or rather if they come second in the group and not won the group. Yeah. But it's, you know, they're, they're the small things you consider, but overall you're absolutely delighted that the US has got through. And they now have this amazing opportunity with Brazil out of the way because everyone thought it would be a Brazil-US sure. on the matchups before the start of the tournament quarterfinal, they now have this incredible opportunity with a with a partisan crowd against a team that's that's decent but very beatable to reach the semi-finals. Gosh, man! So you're looking at we don't know the outcome of Group D just yet, but you got to think Argentina is one of them that'll win tonight, or at least pick up a point or something. Yeah, to win the group. Yeah, I, I hate to be the Ross Fletcher of last week's <laughs> podcast this week, but you got to think that Argentina walks away, and then um, it's Chile, Panama are the two that could potentially, uh, unless Bolivia somehow beats Argentina five to. <laughs> And I guess, no, they still couldn't. Bolivia's out, aren't they? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah but, because but Chile are the ones you'd expect to go through in that group. Okay, so Panama's going to go through in that case. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, predictions are a mugs game, aren't they? I mean, that's that's why I tried to stray away from predictions, but I was so confident. Yeah, of course, of course. But having, Even though having seen yeah, Mexico beat Uruguay in that first game, I still thought Uruguay with Cavani et al. would have too much for them, but Cavani had a horrible tournament up front. Uh, and then and then Suarez, poor Suarez, man, he's one of the most unlikable characters. If you um, if you can't forgive a guy uh, after biting a dude in the World Cup and uh, and biting another guy for Liverpool and biting another guy when he was a kid, and 
I mean, he's hungry. Someone feed him. <laughs> Poor I bastard. I know, he didn't even play in the tournament. So. He didn't even play. And then he wanted to come off the bench so badly when his team needed someone like him to come out. And I realize he's injured. He's run, he's playing through a hamstring injury or something. Why even have him in the 18 if you're No, gonna... they didn't. That's the point. They didn't have him in the 18. And nobody bothered to tell him that he couldn't play. And so oh. he warmed up on the sidelines as if he was going to be subbed in. And then found out when he got back to the bench... Actually, you can't play, and that's when you saw him kicking the. Uh, the oh, I thought he was just pissed that he didn't get brought in. I didn't realize that it was that he wasn't even <laughs> in had, the eighteen. They had to mark down an, an, an X for in, injured on the team sheet, yeah. and they they marked down that he couldn't play. He was ineligible. He was injured, uh, <sighs> but no one told Suarez. So I mean, Oscar Tabarez, the the coach, played it down afterwards, but still, remarkable if that was the, the case that no one told him. Oh my God, that's crazy! But then you see Messi come off the bench, having been injured. Yeah. And scoring a hat trick yeah. within about twenty minutes, <laughs> just unreal. Uh, that guy had been training here in Seattle for the last couple of days now, which is fantastic. Uh, love to see the result. Uh oh, card coming out in this game. We're watching for a handball and a jumping in the wall there. Sorry. Um, so you're taking. Hopefully, it's Chile for the sake of Alexi Sanchez. I want to see him move on, especially since his team's getting robbed from winning last year and not getting to carry the crown for a while. But that's crazy, man, because you have a Mexico-Argentina matchup if... No, 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 no. It's 1D, 2C. So it's Venezuela-Argentina is what it's looking like. And then Mexico-Chile. That's going to be crazy. Did you see Chicharito meeting uh, J.J. Watt from the Houston Texans? <laughs> he was like a kid in a candy store, wasn't he? He was... Yeah, absolutely. It was like being told that, like, hey, we're going to... I don't know. For him growing up, you'd think that he'd be like a Maradona guy or a... What was the Ronaldo from the the fat Ronaldo? Um, <laughs> like meeting one of those guys, but instead it's an American football player, and he was ear to ears Pac Man grinning like ha ah, ah. and they took a picture next to each other, and it's hard to imagine two human beings of that caliber of professional sporting being a different size. Chicharito being this tiny little pea, like his name is, and then. J.J. Watt being the mountain from Game of Thrones standing next to each other. Incredible. It was fantastic. And he just kept, if you saw the video, about a minute and a half video, the Chicharito basically pushed in front of all of his teammates to try and uh, become best buds with him. So, yeah. I gotta make a note to, I'll make a note to put that into the, uh, the wrap-up here that we do today. It was very sweet. Very, very sweet. Okay, so USA, CenturyLink Field, you're thinking 60,000 people is a possibility for that. The tickets are not cheap. My God. Your buddy mm-hmm. Andy, who spent $2,000 on tickets, <laughs> now he looks like the smartest person. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he gets that ticket, too. Yeah, so now he looks like the smartest person ever. He should sell all of those yeah. in a markup to make his money back. Being of Argentine heritage and being an American-born guy, he's kind of got the best week in the world, hasn't he? <sighs> Playing Argentina, watching Argentina on the Tuesday and then the U.S. on the Thursday, or just flogging his tickets for mega bucks. Is he taking you to the USA game? He hasn't asked me. What a dick. <sighs> uh, we Andy, bought. If you're listening, yeah, Andy. Hi. I'll make sure to accidentally put this on his Facebook. With the mark of 25 minutes and 45 seconds on there. <laughs> um, wow, that, I hope that would be awesome because he's probably got way better seats than we do. We've spent a, over 100 bucks to get 300 level seats, man. Wow. That means somebody has to stand behind me in the 300 level seats and not be able to see because there's also a monster in front of them, which is hilarious. <laughs> Just wear a really big top hat. <laughs> Dude, I, I have a lot of confidence thinking USA... Um, in front of that kind of crowd against Ecuador, there's especially the way they're firing right now, minus DeAndre Yudlin because he got that red card. Like I feel like that's a squad that could use Brad Adams at right, or Brad Evans at right back. 
Um, but uh, I think that's a squad that has a pretty good chance of giving uh, taking Ecuador for their money, man. Yeah, I think they're favourites. I think they're, they're really favourites. Yeah. You look at Clint Dempsey, Seattle's very own, and he's fired up. Jurgen Klinsmann saying only yesterday that he thinks he can keep pushing Dempsey for another couple of years to get more goals out of him. And he's clearly had the fire in his belly in this tournament, scoring a couple of times. And he's the go-to guy. Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley seem to have it sorted in the midfield, although against really top-class opposition, they struggle. And Bradley struggled mightily against Colombia, and that's always the worry. But I don't think Ecuador will be of that ilk. But the really big thing for me is the back five. The back five, and you mentioned Yedlin will be missing, have been super impressive. Yeah, They really have. And getting those two clean sheets against Costa Rica and Paraguay, it sets that platform for the team to drive forwards. And Brooks and Cameron have been very strong as central defenders. Fabian Johnson is a terrific player. And coming in at left back... You always knew he'd be able to do a job there. It's a problem position for the US, much like it's been for the Germany squad, who are World Cup champions. Uh, but he'd been playing right-hand side of midfield for Borussia Mönchengladbach, his German club team, all season, but slotted effortlessly into the left-back position. And I think that's been a real boon for the US, seeing how strongly sure. they've defended in this tournament. So fascinating to see how they stitch up that right-back Yeah, who do, who do you anticipate playing there? Well, he might even move Fabian Johnson to right-back and then... Yeah, let him play in, in his natural position. More. Yeah, bring in Michael Orozco at, at left-back. But... Um, that's probably one of the options they have to go with. I wouldn't break up that centre-back partnership. No way. I'd heard some people say, why don't you put Jeff Cameron at right-back where he's played for Stoke City and other teams in, in the past. But no, you don't break up what's been a really rock-solid central partnership. It was, um, it was interesting watching uh, the Belgian squad play against Italy and at centre-back is the only place that they're weak that team is number two in the world, but on paper, they should win 10 nothing every time, it looks like. But with Vermaelen and whoever the other center back was, they were ex- they were exploited, man. That was crazy. Well, that's the thing. They, they've done a very German thing. When, when Germany started the, the 2014 World Cup, playing four central defenders across the back line, so you had two guys out of position at left back and right back. Belgium have done that a lot. So they've had Toby Alderweireld... Um, in central defence and then they moved the central defenders around a bit Laurent Simon of Montreal played right back one of the things is they've been missing Vincent Company yeah sure their captain their leader at centre back so he's actually on the uh, the ESPN panel for Euro 2016 oh, that's awesome uh, you would have expected Belgium to be their, uh, their strongest in central defence but actually it was their Achilles heel against a, a, a much more fluent Italian side than we thought they would be, who yeah. really picked them apart. And nobody, nobody coming into this tournament, the Euro tournament we're talking about now, <laughs> thought that Italy would be, we always seamlessly moved, um, would be quite as good as they were against Belgium because they've got a lot of injuries, they don't have an outstanding goal scorer, and they've got a very old back three, very old back three, and including the keeper, Buffon, but he's, he's terrific. Um, they did it and people are now looking at Italy in a very different way and it's almost flipped the expectations lots of people saying Belgium laden with incredible individual talent but not a team Italy not have the same level of individual talent but they've meshed together but Italy always do that in tournaments they always manage to grind it out how 
How impressive is Vincent Company, though? The, his ability on a Manchester City squad, he's not there. The squad plays as a bunch of soloists running around at their own speed. Yeah, yeah, Tori. Um, and then with the Belgian squad, he must be holding that one together, too. Without his presence there, again, the team is all individual class and not a cohesive unit. And they play so much better when he's around. It's crazy to think one man could have that kind of an impact on a squad. Yeah, he's a real leader. He's a real leader at centre-back, and they miss him. Um it was Vertonghen I was trying to grasp yeah. at earlier with, with um, the sense about partnership with Alderweireld. And then they have Vermaelen and then Laurent Seymour. Um, but the, the thing for Belgium for me is they're not a team. They are yeah. a bunch of highly talented individuals. Eden Hazard, um, Kevin De Bruyne had a really good season at Manchester City. They've got that fantastic talent. Yeah. Marouane Fellaini, Romelu well. Lukaku. You kind of roll them off the tongue, yeah. but they've not meshed together. Whereas Italy are a cohesive unit. And quite often, as we saw in 2004, Greece won the tournament as a highly, highly unfancied team but that's exactly what they were, a team. Yeah. They had a game plan, they stuck to it, and eventually, with a bit of luck, they got the ultimate prize. Italy, very different. They're much classier than Greece ever were, but it will take that team ethic for Italy to win it, and it's certainly not, after that first game showing against Belgium, beyond the realm of them doing it. Hungarian men's national team. Who? A- they're, Who? A, they're a team. They're not individuals, although I did know three players before it started, so... Boom, <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, that that keeper of theirs wearing sweatpants in the first half. I don't think he was wearing them because you had me check on that. And then he came out in second half wearing gray sweatpants. It, they're official though. They have a Hungarian logo on them, so that's a thing. But he's uh, fifty-one years old. Is that yeah, Gabo Kirai? Yeah. He's um, forty-eight he years old. A comedy character. He's incredible. So he's forty. And he wears baggy grey sweatpants. <laughs> the old Casey Kellers. Yeah, but even baggier than, than Keller used to wear. And he was a <laughs> long-time goalkeeper at Crystal Palace in England in the top division of the Premier League and oh, the, the second tier of the Championship. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's and cool. he was a cult hero there. And he's still playing at 40. And okay, you know, goalkeepers can. I just mentioned about Gigi Buffon with, with Italy and Juventus, that he's, what, 38 now, and he's still going strong. England goalkeeper Peter Shilton in the 1990 World Cup was 40. Cool. England reached the semi-finals. So as goalkeepers, you can still do that. Yeah. You know, Casey was playing at 41 for the Sounders. But, yeah, to see him out there, you just think, wow, you, he looks like a ragtag goalkeeper, Kirai. It looks like but, they got him from a pickup game of like oh. adults in the park or something. He then goes and keeps a clean sheet against much fancy dark horses, Austria. So look, I'm just saying that one team played like a team out there without, despite the lack of names. I mean, when your biggest name is a guy who once played at Fulham, <laughs> either you're the Sounders or you're the uh, Hungarian men's national team out there, which is... Uh, Pretty fantastic. Gura is that guy. They're Uh, your boys then? Yeah. My father, Hungarian. So as my father's boy, uh, Hungary is my, uh, that would be hilarious team. I think I'm going France. Uh, after the first, now we've watched all the first round of play. I really like that French team. There's some names on there that I can get behind thanks to my Arsenal connections. Um, I love Koscielny. I think he's a wonderful center back, and it's cool to see him playing on the national team. So I'm going for the home for the homeboys, I guess, uh, to win it. Would be fun. Um, England looks like they're 
they could be real fun. There's like a lot of names on there that I really like to watch and yell at. So and did a very typical English thing of playing really well and then throwing it away in the last minute. That, that's so spursy. That's so English. <laughs> you think they have a chance though? Uh, no. Cool. But then again, I'm trying to do the reverse curse, <laughs> making a prediction that comes off terribly. Because for me, it'd be great as an Englishman to see them win it. They are, as you say, you use the right word there. I think fun. Yeah, they're a fun team. They're the, I think, the youngest or just about the youngest squad in the tournament. Maybe Germany just nicked that, but um, they've got a lot of young, exciting talent out there. Yeah, rather than relying on the tried and trusted of, you know, the old school. John Terry nowhere to be found. Yeah, I mean that was that was self-inflicted with, kind of almost in a strop in a huff against the FA who charged him with the, the the racist words a year or so ago saying well FA which is the National yeah. Soccer Association if you charge me with this I'm not going to play international soccer anymore cut his own nose off to spite his face because if he was still available he'd be at the tournament but he's not there so you've got young players Chris Smalling mid-twenties I guess you know he's, he's not young young but very good strong that's strapping a position, though, defender though, as you get older that's a position that that's where the cooler heads prevail you, that's where you're watching the game come at you and I feel like these older guys tend to do a lot better in the central be- central defense like that rather than a young guy who maybe makes more mistakes or punished harder for your mistakes at center back than you are anywhere else on the field well that was one of the big conundrums for England and Roy Hodgson the coach coming in does he play Smalling uh, alongside Gary Cahill in the middle of that defense and Cahill's very experienced but again not old or do they go with 21-year-old John Stones of Everton? And and Stones in the warm-up games, he's terrific on the ball. He's almost like a midfielder in his range of passing. But he makes some silly errors and mentally has lapses where he switches off or overplays it. And you, as a central defender, the one thing you cannot do is overplay. You can't try and do too much yeah. on the ball. Because if you're caught you are the last line of outfield defence and you can't put your team under that kind of pressure where the keeper then faces a one-on-one. That's just not right. So uh, Stone's not preferred. They've gone with the more experienced duo at the back and it looks like it might work for England. They're fun. Just keep Jack Wilshire off the field, all right? Just just do yourself a favour, Hodgson. Just keep it. You could have brought someone else. You just feared he's going to get injured again. Is that your issue? Is or get a fan? red card. Like it's one of the two. That guy's either starting a fight with somebody or hurting his ankle. There's like no, <laughs> there's no in between with him. Man, they they were like, if if he doesn't get to play, we're going to sell him to Chelsea. I was like, good. <laughs> let it, let them deal with like I'm sure their injury facilities are great. Yeah, but pay like, per play. That's probably one, the one way God. to get Wilshire going again. Yeah, man, it's uh, I loved watching Olivier Giroud from Arsenal play, and the uh, uh, I want to just see a Koscielny Giroud link up for a goal, and it would be drop the mic, <laughs> done. Um, okay, so uh, let's switch back to Copa. Uh, USA plays on Thursday night against uh, Ecuador. You want to see some cohesiveness at the back still, and then what do you want to see up front still that needs to get done? Well, I mean, Giassi Zardes has started to come into his own. Love that kid. He gets a lot of stick for his first touch. If you watch him, he's not very good with his first touch. For an international player, he's not quite of the standard yet. But he made that goal for Dempsey, and... I think the front three with Bobby Wood in there as well, who, who came off an, an excellent season in the second division of the Bundesliga with Union Berlin. He scored 17 goals. Uh, is it's, it's a developing partnership or tri- triumvirate 
those three guys up front, you'd like to see them get an early goal, settle the confidence, settle the nerves, and then let the home crowd kind of bring them through. But mistake-free, for me, is the biggest thing. It's a knockout deal now. They're through the group stages. Yeah. You've got to be able to lock it down and not make any silly mistakes. We just talked about the, the England central defence and not overplaying. The big forte of the US as we touched upon, has been their back line has been solid. I think you've got to be mistake-free and then let those forward guys take care of the rest. I just want to see Darlington Nag come out at CenturyLink Field and watch the Seattle fans have to cheer for him. <laughs> just as a huge Seattle fan myself, I like the game as an overall more than anything. I'm, uh, I'm interested in narrative like we always talk about, so that's interesting. But uh, none of these guys, once they are done playing for who they play for, if they like, if they can remove themselves from their team, then I can accept them or whatever. But I know some people are going to have a real hard time with that. Oh yeah, and the thing is, Klinsman, yeah, in the group stage, kept the same team, unchanged lineup for all three matches. The only other time that has happened in U.S. soccer history is the 1930 <laughs> World Cup. <laughs> DeAndre Yedlin suspended, so he won't be able to break that record. But I don't think we'll see Nagby from the start or Polisic from the start. I think he'll keep an unchanged side, Might save well. for that one change. And, and you've got to feel for Yedlin. On, on one hand, he was stupid, and he was stupid to get those two yellow cards within quick succession. And the red card he got against Paraguay bans him for this game. Yeah. But at the same time, you feel sorry for him because he's coming home. I'm sure Yedlin would have been more desperate than anybody to play for the US in a meaningful game in his home city. When is he ever going to get that chance again of a game of this magnitude? And he'll be watching from the executive boxes. Yeah, because he's not even down allowed down on the field, right? Uh, don't think so. He might be allowed to sit on the bench. I can't remember, but he'll probably be up in the stands in the suites. Oh, man, crazy. Okay, so it's Thursday night, 6.30 is what it says here. I don't know if I believe that or not. Oh, wait, was that Isn't East it 5.30? <sighs> I can Suspect. check. I can check. You're so right, 6.30. 6.30. Okay, Thursday night, 6.30. Either we'll see at CenturyLink Field or you'll be watching a shout from the 300 level uh, on Thursday night. <laughs> 